Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 19. If you turn in your Bibles or your gadgets, it's really good to take in the Word and using all of our senses, so reading it, hearing it. So we're in Acts chapter, well, actually going to go back to Acts chapter 18 in a moment, but just to bring you up, we've done two series through the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters. We're going to do it in 28 weeks. In the beginning eight chapters, we we looked at hearing and responding to God. In the last 10 that we just finished, we looked at seeking and saving souls. God's the one who saves them. Now, in Acts chapter 19 through 28, I'm really looking forward to these 10 studies. We're going to look at going and doing the making of a testimony. So what's your testimony? Well, the book of Acts lays out Paul's testimony for us. And in these final 10 chapters, we're going to look at the making of a testimony. So as we're on this, continuing on this journey with Paul, I hope that you'll read ahead each week the chapter that we're going to go through Pray the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. There's a lot of verses we're covering. We can't possibly do them in detail. We're going to take some thoughts that that come to my mind as we go through them. So for next week, Acts chapter 20, a great chapter. So to kick this final series off, I want to give you this morning three simple questions, personal questions that I think is good to ask yourself every day because we're on a journey, yes, but it's day by day. So as you journey along, you're making a testimony. So in this earthly pilgrimage to the celestial city, Jesus said this, do not worry. How many of you are worrying? You wouldn't admit it if you are. <laughs> well, in our, in our series, Summer Sessions, the first one we're going to do that first week, we're going to talk about anxiety and worry because that is a problem all the time. That's why Jesus addressed it. He said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Basics, don't even worry about those. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. That's their focus. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That's no problem for God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. God's going to take care of all these things. What he's saying for us is our part is seeking the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Therefore, he says again, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, that's interesting. Don't worry, but tomorrow is, we we always worry about tomorrow and it never happens most of the time. For tomorrow, we'll worry about its own things. Can I hear uh, uh, you with me on that? Tomorrow's got plenty of things to worry about. So leave tomorrow for tomorrow. But today, sufficient for the day is the trouble they're in. So that's what Jesus said. Don't worry. So day by day, three simple questions. They're going to be these. Am I fervent? Am I full? And am I following? Simple questions. We'll get them as we go. So the first one is, am I fervent? I love a song that is an old song. I love it, and, and this re-upped my desire to play it at our hour of prayer. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, when I am alone, give me Jesus. When I die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Can I hear an amen on that? Are you fervently in love with Jesus? Are you loving him fervently? So Acts chapter 18, we have a man named Apollos who was fervent in spirit. Verse 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea, this is Paul finalizing the second journey. Acts 18, 22. And gone up and greeted the church, Jerusalem. And then he came to Antioch, his home church. 
After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening the disciples. So he'd been there twice. He's going now a third time. He's, he's going to be going now on this third missionary journey. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, a tremendous ancient city filled with Jewish, Jewish citizens, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So Apollos is fervent in spirit. He didn't just talk. He knew what he was talking about. And not only that, he talked fervently. He had a passion that people were drawn to. Charles Wesley said this, quote, Catch on fire with enthusiasm, and people will come for miles to watch you burn, unquote. See, a fervency, that's what Apollos, he was fervent in spirit. He knew what he was talking about. He talked clearly. People understood him, and they wanted to listen because he really believed what he was saying. So with all of his study and knowledge, though, his understanding was lacking. He knew the Old Testament, passionate about it. He was keen, and he was zealous about the law. He was looking for the coming Messiah. He heard John the Baptist preaching. He may have even been baptized by John the Baptist himself. What was John the Baptist preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Be baptized for remission of sin. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That was John's baptism, his message to the people. So evidently, Apollos either, number one, did not know that Jesus Messiah had already come, was crucified, and rose from the dead. That Paulus, and I think, it's difficult for me to think that's what the problem is. That's the lack. Because the kind of man that Apollos was, I'm sure he knew all about that. So the second, which I would hold to more likely, is Apollos did not know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knew only the baptism of John. So after Jesus' ascension, the baptism was poured out. So that also already happened, but he didn't know about it. In Acts chapter 19, we get a lot in these first few verses about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So verse 26, chapter 18. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, we met them last week, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God, notice, more accurately. He knew it, but they needed, he needed some fine-tuning, some adjustments. So Aquila and Priscilla take him aside, I believe, with great humility and care to this tremendous man, and they go over these things, I believe, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, probably went to Corinth, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Now, why would they have to write to receive him? I think his fervency was so much, he was so intense that he sort of put people on their heels sometimes. I can relate to that. I can get intense at times, and I've done that. I think Apollos, hey, hey, he, he's learned some things. He's growing in his faith. Yeah, he's fervent, but he's learning that he needs to be gracious, a little more gracious, and all these kinds of things. So this man, Paul, Apollos, was just like Paul the Apostle, Silas, Timothy, and start naming these, these men that were meeting, and women, Aquila, who were fervent in their love for God fervent in their love for Jesus. So the question is not, am I loving Jesus perfectly? Because that's a lifetime endeavor. And I know you're with me on that one. It's a lifetime endeavor to love Jesus perfectly. But the question is, am I, living, am I loving Jesus fervently? Is he my first love? 
that I haven't fallen from, but he is my passion. He is my drive. So the examples in the Old Testament of, the, of those who were fervent are many. The New Testament are many. I think it's the fervency of sincerity and authenticity in my life being consecrated for God's kingdom. That sincerity and authenticity in my life being consecrated to the things of the kingdom of God. That fervency. It's not the fervency of my emotions, though that is there. It's not the fervency for the applause of men. Hopefully that's not something that's fervently, because that's fickle at best, fleeting at most. But am I loving God fervently? Now, in order to do that, I must be loving his word fervently. Apollos was that kind of man. Am I loving God's word fervently? Is it the desire of my heart every day to feed my soul, my spirit with his word? Not only that, am I learning God's ways more accurately? You see, and the only way that I will do that is if I'm loving God's word consistently. So as I'm learning the word of God, I'm learning God's ways more accurately, and his ways begin to take place for my ways. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is that I need to know God's ways. So am I loving God? Are you loving God's word fervently? I believe that you do. And then are you learning God's ways more accurately? You see, we all need this thing called discipleship. We all need this thing called training. We all need this thing called transformation. So that's the question as far as a fervency in my love for Jesus. See, only as I love God's word will I learn God's ways, which results in learning how to love as God's called me to love. That's what happens. So there are many, many wonderful, unconditional promises that God has for us. Salvation beginning them. But there are also many, many wonderful conditional promises that God has for us. So wonderful because God wants to lift us up, not load us down. God wants to bless us, not bum us out. Can I hear an amen? He wants to bless our lives. That's what he does. He wants to bless us. But often, we hinder that blessing of God because we're unwilling to do what he says. So it's conditional. So if I'll do my part, God will do his part. He'll do it. He will bless us. So there are many who want to serve God, but only as advisors. We want to tell God how to do it. I'll serve you, but here's how. And so I'm going to advise God. No, no, that's, that's not how it works. God wants to invade my life to bless it and set me free and give me a life that's called eternal. The quality of life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. James addresses this. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The engrafted word which is able to save your soul from ongoing sin, from the power of sin in your life. Receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Oh, I'm, often I'm a hearer, not a doer. It's easy to preach 10 sermons. The difficulty is living out just one of them. It's easy to talk. Talk's cheap. James is going to hit that here. So he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself 
And immediately he goes away and forgets what he just saw in the mirror. Now, a lot of you, in the mirror, when you get in the morning, you look in the mirror, you go, I think I'm going to leave that and forget what I just saw. <laughs> you can't do that with the word of God. You see, he speaks to us in his word. It's the reflection back to us of what we need God to work on. And so he says, but he who looks into, notice what he calls it. James is fantastic. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the, notice, work. It's work. He will be blessed in what he does. So there's this conditional aspect in our relationship with God of responding in obedience to what he's told us. And in so doing, it's liberty. It's blessing. So we can't say that we love Jesus fervently and not do what he says. He said that himself several times. Particularly in those, la- in those chapters of in, in John, his last sort of time with his disciples before the crucifixion, he said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's not a hard-nosed, you better keep my commandments and I'll love you. No, if you love me. You see, if we love God and we love Jesus, we trust him and we know that his desire for our lives is to set us free and bless them. So his commandments to us are for our benefit, not his. He says again, verse 21 of John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Or you might put the word, trusts me, obeys me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, when we're walking in obedience and harmony with Jesus, he becomes richer and deeper and we begin to know exactly how much he loves us. And we are always responders to his love for us. He goes on, verse 22, Judas, not a scared, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How does that work? Jesus said, if anyone loves me, Again, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This intimate relationship that takes place when we respond in obedience to what God says. So we can't say we love Jesus and not keep his commandments. Second question, am I full? In other words, am I living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Are you living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Notice Acts 19, verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, interesting question. Why is he asking this? What is he talking about? Well, I believe he perceived that there was something lacking, that something was missing. When he met these 12 disciples. Now, is it possible to not receive the Holy Spirit when we believed? Let me answer that emphatically. No, it's not possible to not receive. I'll talk about that in a minute. When we are saved, we are saved by the Holy Spirit. But is it possible to believe and yet something be lacking of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life? Is it possible to leave and not have received all God has for us in this thing called eternal life? So they said to him, verse uh, 2 again, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So this response may indicate they weren't very good students. But it also means they never heard about this before for some reason. 
So John the Baptist clearly taught that the Holy, Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was part of his message. They knew the baptism with John. They had heard that, no doubt. John the Baptist said that. I baptize water, but there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unloose. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, when they heard that, they're probably going, what does that mean? How does that work? Notice now verse 3. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism, just like Apollos. That's what they knew. Verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is very interesting here. Five times this word baptism is used in three verses right here in our little text. The word is two different Greek words, meaning basically the same things. One, three different things. It means to immerse. Or immersion. It's also translated to submerge or submersion. It's also uh, translated to make overwhelmed. Or the idea is to make fully wet. If you can imagine just plunging into water. The word was used to describe three different things. Dipping a morsel of food, of bread, dipping a morsel of bread in a drink. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus dipped the bread. So there's that, that idea you're taking a piece of bread and you're dipping it. It's also used in, in, in the Greek in, in different uh, ways as far as pictures. The picture is the dyeing of a garment. So imagine that. You take a piece of cloth that's white. You dump it in some blue dye. You pull it out. It's all blue, inside, outside, and all the way through. So it has that picture. It also is the picture of a submerged ship. So that's the picture of baptism. So the question I have here, do you perceive something lacking or something missing in your Christian experience? Do you have fullness of joy? Do you have an overflowing love? Do you have the full assurance of faith? Do you have an all-prevailing peace in your life? Do you have a lasting victory over areas of sin in your life? You see, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And he wants to impart to each one of us an overflowing Christian experience. So what should I expect that to look like? Well, Jesus tells us. In John chapter 7... In verse 37, he says this, If anyone comes, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, John 7. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's this this thing that's going to happen where it's going to be like torrents of living water gushing out of our lives. Sort of flooding the world in these different aspects of God's character and nature. So a spirit-filled torrent of living water is what Jesus described it as. Does that describe your experience even today with God? Now, I love these pictures. Like dipping a morsel of bread, 
having received the Holy Spirit, we have received him who soaks us into our fellowship with the Father. The Holy Spirit is who is soaking us in this thing called fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Like a dyed garment, having received the Holy Spirit, we have received him who penetrates our faith in God, transforming us thoroughly, inwardly, and outwardly. The Holy Spirit comes, and as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's this transformation that takes place where we look completely different inside and out, as though we've been dyed, if you will, in this fantastic thing called salvation. And like a submerged ship, I love this one too. Having received the Holy Spirit, we have received him who floods all the compartments of our heart with the faithfulness of God. I love it. God is faithful. He is the God of hope. So all my frailties, all my weaknesses, all my failures, God floods them by his Holy Spirit with his faithfulness that he is at work to complete a work which he began in me. He is faithful. He gives me hope. And you know, a lot of times when you lose hope, know this, that's not from God. He's not condemning you. He's not saying, man, you've missed that mark so many times. God's done with you. No, God comes in. He's the God of hope that I am faithful. I will work these things out. Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. See, these are the things that are ours. The Holy Spirit does for us in our fellowship with God, in knowing that he's faithful, in our faith growing and transforming our lives. Now, I want to direct you to Acts chapter 2 study because I hit these things there, this whole thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what happens. But because this is grand central to all of our goings and doings, to all of our life, I thought it would be good to renew and remind ourselves a little bit this morning. So I'm going to do a little overview of the Holy Spirit and this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are five verbs in the New Testament that describe the Holy Spirit's action, his personal action on our lives. Five of them, five verbs. The first one is we're born again by the Spirit of God. The second is we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. All scriptures, like, uh, you can listen to that and study. If you want, I'll send you my notes. Just to understand these, these personal actions of the Holy Spirit on our lives. First of all, we're born again by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here's the third one. It's fantastic. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. God says he's mine when we receive salvation. He's mine. The fourth verb is we're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So when you receive Christ, those four things happened. Miraculously, supernaturally. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity when we're done here to come to know our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you do that by confessing that you're a sinner, that you need his forgiveness, that you want this eternal life, and God is faithful and is he who confesses that will be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to experience. But if today is your day of salvation, when you 
commit your life to Christ today, when you repent and turn to him for salvation, you will be born again by the Spirit of God. You will be indwelt. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. You will be uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. God's going to say, he's mine, she's mine. And then you will be baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Now, the fifth verb is this coming upon, epi, this, this, this um, thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. So notice verse 6. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit, what? Came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can call it what you want. I'll just say to you, you and I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Are you full? Are you living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life? So this, these prepositions that describe the personal interaction in our lives with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, he will be, he's with you before salvation. He will be in you at salvation. Said that to the disciples. He's with you. He shall be in you. When Jesus rose from dead, he breathed on his disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that point, they received the Holy Spirit. But then he told, there's more coming. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. In fact, the Acts chapter 1-8 is the key verse of the whole book of Acts. Says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, martyrs to me. Your life will become mine to do with what I want. You'll willingly submit in, all, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the outline of the chapter, but it's also the key verse, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said, There's more to come. And it's that coming upon. So on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them. We read in the book of Acts on several occasions. Hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They spoke with tongues. Sometimes they didn't speak with tongues. But whatever happened there, the Holy Spirit came upon them after salvation. Now, I do believe, in fact, let me read this. What is this experience? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite experience at or subsequent to salvation, whereby the third person of the Godhead comes upon the believer to empower and energize him or her for service and witness. Brothers and sisters, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. God has him in our lives to give us all that we need to live out this thing called salvation, to honor and glorify him. It's the promise of the Father. It's the gift of the Father and the Son, and it's the command of Jesus and the Scripture. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. I think Jesus said that because if they went out without the power of the Holy Spirit, they would have messed everything up. So he said, you wait because you're not ready yet. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus sent it, he sent the Holy Spirit just like he promised. What's the evidence of the, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? First of all, there's supernatural evidence. There's supernatural grace. The daily fresh power freely given by God that results in praise to God, overflowing joy, freedom from sin. It gives us an ongoing hunger for the word of God and for him in prayer. It gives a deep love and concern for the souls and welfare of other people. And on goes the list of what happens. What's the evidence? First of all, it's a supernatural spirit-filled grace. It's also what I love to call spirit-filled guts. Not only grace, but guts. Because when you read in the Baptist, when the Holy Spirit came on, they were bold. And the Holy Spirit, and it gives us a boldness. Now there's also spirit-filled gifts. And I believe in the gifts are for today. We'll be hitting a little bit of that on our, uh, some of our, on Wednesday night, the summer sessions. But we, 
need to understand the gifts and study the gifts and find out, okay, how has God gifted me? What gifts do I need? Paul said, earnestly desire the best gifts. So if I'm going to cut a piece of wood, I don't want a hacksaw. I want a crosscut saw. What's, the, what's God called you to do? He's got gifts to, to enable you to do what he's called you to do. So if I'm going to be teaching, I better be gifted to teach. And how do I know if someone's gifted for teaching? Well, are people coming to listen? I mean, there's lots of ways to figure these things out. And I have learned in my own experience that sometimes it's trial and error. Okay, I'm gonna, but, so I'm going to say and exhort you, if you don't know what your gifts are, find somewhere to serve. God will show you. He'll help you. And in the process of learning, tremendous growth takes place. We grow into, many times, our giftings. Now, the in, but the indisputable evidence is the love of God. Pastor Chuck Smith, who God used to begin the Calvary Chapel movement, he came out of a four-square background, but he would plead with the Lord, can we see supernatural signs? I want to see people getting up. And interesting, the Lord used him at one point to lift a lame man out of a wheelchair one time. And he, God actually used him to heal someone. But he wanted to see more of the manifestation of the Spirit. And then he was reading, studying Corinthians. He said, earnestly desire the best gifts, but... I'm going to show you a better way, more excellent way. And 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. See, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is what? Love. You want to know what love is? It's joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's love. Define. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and here's what that means. Do you have joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says this, against such there is no law. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. You don't have to need any guidance when you're, in, when you're loving. There's no harm to its neighbor. That's what the Holy Spirit, the fruit of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, is God's love increasing in our lives, which brings joy, peace, all these things. And those who are Christ, listen, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, lusts. If we live in the Spirit, which we do, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I've said this before. I want to just hit it real quickly. I call it the ABCs. Simple. Number one, ask in prayer. So Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father not give what? The Holy Spirit to those who work really hard, really righteous. No, to those who ask. We ask up in prayer, that's A. B, we believe in the promise that this is to everyone who believes. That's what the Bible says. It's not only to you, but to all the generation of all. Whoever say this promise is to you. So believe in the promise. God promised it. I believe it. That settles it. Ask up in prayer. Believe in the promise. And here's the one that gets real practical. Carry on in the power. Just keep living. Many times I don't feel any of those things backing me up. But I know that when I obey God, he's going to back it up with the power of his Holy Spirit. He never asks me to do something, but that he also empowers me to do it. So ask up in prayer, believe in the promise, and then carry on in the power. Believe that God has done that and walk, and the Holy Spirit will begin to manifest himself in your life in ways and times you didn't even, re you, you go, wow, that was cool. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, the last mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ongoing, this need we have. Okay, so there's a little flyover. Now, let me hit this last question. 
Am I following? Now, this gets exciting in the book of Acts to see what happens when these men and women are following after Jesus. And it's no less exciting for us in following the Lord. Are you following? Am I following Jesus, listen, today? Not looking tomorrow, today. And that's what these questions are. Am I following Jesus today? Am I fighting the good fight of faith today? Are you in the fight? Notice verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them, withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So here's the deal. What is it, what's it like to follow Jesus? Number one, it is mysterious. Following Jesus is mysterious. It's interesting to me. I don't understand why the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same word that softens one heart hardens another. That's what we see here. I don't understand that. All I know is that the gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to tell people. And the Holy Spirit's job is to bring them to a place of conviction and salvation. I don't get that. I don't know why that happens. But God does. God knows the hearts. I can't see the heart. I think one of the problems we run into many times in this whole thing is we're trying to see someone's heart. We can't see that. We can't make that judgment, but we can be fruit inspectors. And so there should be a change. We should be seeing things. When it comes to this mysterious matter of the heart, we've got to just do our job. Preach the word in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Tell them the reason for the hope that lies in us. And go on in the scripture and give our testimony what we know of God to them, but then the Holy Spirit's going to be working on them, and I don't, it's mysterious following Jesus. Have you found that? It's heartbreaking sometimes, because here are those people that you love. They've heard it. I just talked to a brother this morning. He, he, he uh, heard from a friend of his that he's got 30 days to live. Wow. You know, it's just heartbreaking sometimes. Why does that, why is it like that? I don't know. But I think that's a very sound theological response. I don't, but God does. So he went into the school of Tyrannus, which he was teaching in his downtime, five hours in the afternoon in Ephesus. They had the break time, and that's when Paul went and taught in this, in this school. To follow Jesus is not only mysterious, it's miraculous. It's miraculous. We are talking about miraculous things here. Notice verse 11. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. This is weird. <laughs> But I'll take it if it was me. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So he's got this apron on. Now it's not the apron of the food channel. It's a leather apron of a blacksmith. That's the apron that he's talking about. So that's not too delicate. But what, I don't know what's happening. You know, it's interesting. Peter, remember that? They were laying the sick it, that the shadow of Peter might fall over them. And they were healed. Now that's miraculous. So here it is for me. It's miraculous that God would work anything through me or you. That's miraculous that the God of the universe is taking our lives and doing things that are way beyond anything we could ever accomplish. You see, we know that the, that the task ahead of us is never so great as the power behind us. That's the truth. Now, a third thing about it, to follow Jesus is serious stuff. It's serious. Notice, some of the itinerant Jewish, verse 13, exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, 
We exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. This is a great story. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Now, I don't know if I'd like to hear a demon say that, but that's what happened. Now, understand this. There are two different Greek words used for the word know. The one of Jesus to know, Jesus I know intimately by interaction and experience. The one for Paul, no, I'm acquainted with, I know about, I understand. So I know Jesus intimately, this demon's saying. And indeed, they did. They said to him, hey, don't, let, don't cast us into that lake yet. Get, let us go into the pigs, the swine. So they knew not only who created them, but who would judge them eventually. They knew that intimately. But Paul, they were acquainted with. Satan will always be following up you following Jesus. Know that. He's like the commander of forces that's out to try and destroy your life and attack them. But here's the thing. I take great joy that Satan must get acquainted with me through Jesus. Can you hear any man? He, can get a, he must get acquainted with me through Jesus. So messing around with evil spirits is a dangerous thing. It's serious. And so look at verse 16. Then the men in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Demonic powers are nothing to play around with, believer and unbeliever. These men found out, without knowing Jesus' person himself, they were fodder for the demons. They go running. Even in our personal relationship with Jesus, we need him in between us. Michael the archangel dared not bring a right... Dare not bring a reviling accusation against Satan, saying, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel, how much more me? So really, the, the, the note here is, don't get caught with your spiritual pants down. Don't do that. Don't mess around, because they are no match for us apart from Christ. Just be known for who you are in Jesus. Don't try to be Paul. Or whoever else. Just be yourself. Let the Lord do that. Trying to imitate or copy someone else is not going to work. And that's another thing just rises from me out of it. I must be who I am. And that's who God wants me to be. And it's going to be different than Paul. And every, so don't try and can I? Can you give me a, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. God has created uniquely to be his servant and, and witness. Now another thing about following Jesus is that to follow Jesus is priceless. It's absolutely priceless. Notice what happens, verse 17. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's priceless. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, it says there, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. What a fun thing to have seen. What's happening? The name of the Lord's being magnified. The gospel's being preached. It's priceless. People are responding to that. However God did that, they're responding. That is priceless. Now, they took all of this stuff and burned it. Do you know what that was worth? In our day and age, about $7 million. And all these people say, we're done with that. That's miraculous. Now, some of you experienced that same miracle. You were, you were dabbling in all kinds of stuff. You came to Christ and said, I'm done with those records. I'm done with those tapes. I'm, I'm done. It's behind me. They're gone. 
And God does that. That's miraculous. That's what he does. It's priceless. You remember the ad. There are some things money can't buy, but everything else, there's MasterCard. Remember that one? You, I say you can have your MasterCard and everything else. Just give me Jesus. That's priceless. Give me Jesus. Give me souls. So are you in the fight to see God do these priceless things? We're sinners from every walk of life, from the greatest to the least, get, get right with God. Where marriages and families are getting right with God, where leaders in the church are getting right with God, it's priceless. It's what God does. We want to see that happen, just putting aside these things. The pastors and elders and teachers and board members are getting right with God in small areas or big areas. We're coming, we're getting right with God. That to me is priceless. And you know yourself from personal experience and then from others in your life, when, they, when we or they have come to a place of repentance, it's priceless. And it's not to be regretted, that godly sorrow that brings repentance is never to be regretted. We say, thank you, Lord, for that moment. It will live for nothing could purchase anything close to what that means to me or to them. There are things that all the money on the earth cannot afford, things that the greatest earthly fame and success cannot attain, and the best human ingenuity and power cannot arrange it. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in bringing us to a place of getting right with God. That is priceless. Health is a great blessing. Competence obtained by hard work is a great blessing. And it's a great blessing to have kind, faithful, and loving friends and relatives. But the greatest of all blessings, the most magnificent of all privilege, is to be a Christian. Right with God. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Another thing here, real quickly. To follow Jesus is timeless. It's timeless. Paul says, verse 21, when he accomplished When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed. He got a lot of things done, but his purpose was eternal. And he was staying on the road. He's going to keep keeping on. And the same for us. It's timeless. Following Jesus is eternal. And all that we're doing, all that we're planning, you see, Paul lived with an eternal perspective on life. And so do we desire that eternal. While we do not look at things that are seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, we look at the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are eternal. So we're trying to lay up treasures in heaven. We can't see that right now, but we're trying to take our life and invest them in things that matter for eternity. And then finally, to follow Jesus is, listen, dangerously contagious. It's dangerously contagious. You have these things that we're looking at here, this great commotion. There's commotion, there's confusion, and then there's quiet. So there's this great commotion, verse 23, about what? The way. What's the problem? What's the commotion? It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. What a wonderful thing to be involved, to see this commotion about Jesus. I think Paul ate it up. It got really crazy there in Ephesus. The God, Diana is the goddess of the Ephesians. Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. And the whole crowd, it's interesting, they get in this whole theater thing, and they don't know why they're there. They have a conference, and they have no idea what it's about. And there's confusion. That's, what, that's the worldly living. There's commotion about so many things. There's confusion. People don't know what they believe. And you see, we are supposed to have answers. In a commotion-filled, confused world, 
We can commit, and it's dangerously, yes, it's dangerously, but it's dangerously contagious when you see those things happening, when you're involved in those kinds of things that God's doing. Paul wants to say, hey, let me go into that theater. He said, no, 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 you're not going in there. You're gonna, you know, it's dangerous, yes, but it's contagious. Paul couldn't wait. I think when it got all quiet in Ephesus, as we read, if you read the chapter, I think Paul was bummed out. Oh, man, where's the commotion? Where's all the people running around saying, what? Greatest than Ephesians, greatest than Ephesians. You see, and that's the thing about following Jesus. It's dangerously contagious. You see, Paul was infected with the gospel. And his infection was getting done some things. It was infecting others. Do you have an infectious faith? Do you have a dangerously contagious faith? That's what it is to follow Jesus. Yeah, so we just finished that with a little brief overview. So God wants to make a testimony of our lives. So the three questions. Am I fervent? Am I fervently loving Jesus? Am I full? Am I living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And finally, am I following just today in these things that matter for the kingdom? So I want to give an opportunity now so if believers in the room, if you would just bow your heads and pray, cut, Close your eyes. Pray. And again, if you're here not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard about him this morning probably not the first time. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you are confused. Maybe you don't know what to believe. I trust that the Holy Spirit of God, through the word of God, has been speaking to your heart. Maybe, probably not even just this morning. But you've been wrestling with this need to obey the gospel and to give your life to Christ through repentance and faith in Jesus. To ask God to forgive you because you know you're a sinner. You know you're not right with God. To ask him to forgive you and to ask of the gift that he offers through Jesus Christ, his son of salvation. And then to be filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, baptizing the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. This supernatural thing that God does when you simply, as I'm going to ask you to do three things, raise up your hand, stand up, and walk up to one of the tables, and there give your life to Christ this morning. Say yes to Jesus this morning. Don't put it off. It's an urgent decision. It's the most important one you'll ever make. So again, three things. Just to raise up your hand, I want to acknowledge you as one who says this morning, I must this morning get right with God. And then I'm going to, in raising your hand, I just want to ask you to keep that up so I can see that. So we're waiting, we're praying. It's an urgency about the message every day. Even this, this man that I was sharing, he found he has 30 days to live. You never know. So we're going to press the issue a little bit with your heart this morning. God presses it. He loves you, knows you perfectly, and wants this morning to save you from sin and from death and from hell through what he accomplished on the cross through Jesus' his son. So if that's you, we're praying. Just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I got to do it. I got to get right with God this morning. So as we go into this final song together as the church, I'm going to ask you at some point just to stand. And when we're done, I'm going to come up. And I'd just like us together just raise our hands. 
ask up in prayer, believe in the promise, and carry on in the power for this, for this week together. He's going to ask the Lord to baptize us afresh in his Holy Spirit. So as we're singing at some point, just stand together, and I'll come up, and, and we'll do that together.